Welcome to the latest Northern Business Leaders interview in association with the business services firm Deloitte. In 2006, before the financial crash, few would have predicted that a business that had just started would at this stage in 2019 be employing more than 5,000 people, would have three billion pounds worth of turnover and have 120 national outlets. That business was founded in the northeast of England, it's Virtue Motors PLC and its founder is Robert Forrester. Robert, welcome to Northern Business Leaders. Thank you very much. We're in one of your very high-end showrooms. We this are. one happens to be for Honda. It is. Have car showrooms or motor retail showrooms changed in the last 10 years? This one certainly has, because it used to be a Jaguar dealership for Reg Vardy. <laughs> um, they have. They've become actually simpler in many mm. ways. Greater use of digital technology and screens and interaction between the customer and, and technology as well as the sales teams. Um, and that change is accelerating, actually. Well, whenever I've gone into a, one of these showrooms, they feel a bit more like an, an Apple store than the old garages of old where some salesman would come and push you into a deal and force you into test drive. Is this being driven by the major motor manufacturers or by you? I think it's a combination, actually. Uh, I think we have to evolve. Uh, customers have got different expectations when they walk into an Apple store or any retail outlet now. They're getting you know, a very good experience in many cases. They're, they're used to pressing Amazon and getting something delivered after 24 hours. Certainly I am. Um, and we clearly have to respond to that. Uh, we are held to the same standard as, as other retailers and manufacturers clearly have that in mind. We don't want to be left behind and, and clearly we're not and with the power of the manufacturers behind us as well as the financial power in the sector as well, uh, we can make that investment and this is a good example in this, this dealership. Well it was less than 15 years ago you embarked on this journey as Virtue Motors and you obviously decided to start afresh, not just a new business but a new approach. Let's start by what motivated you, because you had worked at uh, Reg Vardy PLC, a, a highly acclaimed motor retailer, uh, and you moved on from that to start this. What was the background to that move, and, and how did you get it going? I don't think anybody would ever make a decision to leave Reg Vardy and set up a new motor group. Uh, it is, you have to be forced to do things like that, and I was very much forced. Um, Reg Vardy got taken over by Pendragon PLC in February 2016. Uh, I was uh, removed from the business about three minutes later and uh, had no job mm. uh, and a contract actually meant I couldn't work for 12 months. So you have a bit of time to think and you've got to provide for your family and uh, it wasn't just me that founded the company, there were, there were a small group of us and uh, we decided we, there was room in the market for a new player with a, with a new approach and, uh, and with distinct ideas and how we wanted things doing. Uh, we were backed by the city in December 2016 and bought our first dealerships in March 2017, uh, March uh, 2007. So um, it was necessity, I think. Adverse circumstances tend to produce the greatest leaps forward, I think, and certainly in my life that is definitely true. So let's go back to 2006-07 when you went to the city for money. Um, you, you, you really were asking something, there was a lot of chutzpah there, you were asking a lot of investors to, to back this group. Yeah, well, I mean, we went with a company with £400,000 worth of cash in it and no business, mm. with an idea of creating a motor retail group to compete against people who were circa £2 billion turnover and, and had big share, and the city decided to put the money in and give it a go. 
and we came out with our first fundraise with 26 million pounds which gave us the opportunity to go and buy some some dealerships we actually went back with a deal about two months later in february 2017 when we bought bristol street motors and we needed funding for that raised another 26 million and the aim uh, london stock exchange has been a very very good platform for us to fund a business that is now of considerable scale and when people occasionally you get the you know the northeast is remote and the northeast has disadvantages i'm not a great buyer of that mm. um, to be honest i've got a train that gets me into the center of london in two and a half hours with no stops between newcastle mm. and, and london we are very close to the, the world's financial center and there are massive advantages of, of that and of course you asked we not asked. a lot of people do no no i think that's right and um if you don't ask, you don't get. Yes. Now, so you had a formula. Uh, as I understand the formula, it was you bought established family brands. Of course, Bristol Street Motors itself was an established family brand. And used the money from the city to modernise them and, and have a track towards gaining well, a greater market share. Reg Vardy was uh, a very, very good retail business. Mm. Um, it got sold for £500 million and it got sold for £500 million for a good reason. It was highly profitable and, and, and was very successful. So we had a platform of ideas which we knew that we could employ. Yeah. Uh, great systems, great processes, investment in IT, massive investment in training. That was all a Reg Vardy type approach. We had some new ideas as well. Uh, we felt that we could do things better. It wasn't simply a case of replicating Reg Vardy. So I, I, when, we, when we looked at buying businesses, we bought some great businesses that needed very little um, improvement but with the vast majority of the businesses we felt there was an opportunity to improve their performance put systems and processes in invest in the training and uh, I think we, we've been a good custodian of those businesses uh, they have improved over the past years uh, the people who were in those businesses have gone on to do great things within the business we've got directors who were mm. in our first round of acquisitions um, we've seen people move from sales executive all the way through to general manager in those 10, 12 years. So I, th I think that gives a certain sense of pride. I mean, uh, making money is important, but actually running a business with the right values and the right ethics and seeing individuals come through and make their lives better and creating a meritocracy where the people who work the hardest and deliver the most get the most, that's really what business is about. And you are a believer, you've gone to the city for capital, so you're a believer in capitalism, but you have managed to temper it to make sure that people benefit from it as I understand um, many I don't, of your, I don't many think of your, it's tempering it you're not tempering no I don't think but it's you do you are sharing it though there's a lot of your staff yeah, have got I, shares for I instance. think we share the rewards of capitalism yeah. by paying well by investing in training uh, by making sure the value structures are right but the mm -hmm. value structures are core to what we do mm -hmm. actually uh, they're not a nice to have I don't think it's tempering I think good capitalist businesses put values at the core. Why? Because our customers are human beings and human beings know the difference between right and wrong. So, yeah. so actually values are crucial. And, the long t and in the, you have a long term then, because you want to deliver it. Oh, very long term. No, no, very long term. You're not just in and out. No. Uh, and I, you know, when we bought Bristol Street Motors in, 20, 20, in 2007, you know, some of them thought we were you know, going to flip it after four years. Yeah. And, and that's actually not what we're about. We're about building a long term business. Now we're quoted, so who knows what can happen to quoted companies. Uh, 
and you've seen many companies in the northeast come and go over the years get taken over get taken out head offices moved yeah. we do the reverse we take over things in the south and move the head offices up here yeah that's a fantastic Which I quite like <laughs> it's a fantastic uh, <laughs> uh, reversal of fortune uh, you also um you've uh, you've fully kilted up here in scotland as well yeah. i mean you you've uh, you've got a brand i think it's macklin motors in scotland um now that is a very established dealership chain in scotland yeah, I mean, there are a number of big players in Scotland, and I think we've got a nice business up there. We've invested in some phenomenal, some phenomenal uh, facilities. Our, our Glasgow Nissan business is an absolute landmark. Mm. Uh, in fact, the eight-storey tower full of 24 cars is known as the Nissan Tower. It's right mm. next to the M8. So we invest from Glasgow to Fife, down to Kent, all the way through to Exeter. We are truly a UK business. Let's talk about your relationships with the major manufacturing partners. What do they look for when they're deciding to in, in invest with you? And I suppose they do invest with you, maybe not always financially, but certainly in terms oh, of no, building no, it relationships. Is an, it is an investment. Um, what are they after? Uh, they need to believe there is a credible long-term structure, both in terms of management and financial power. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think they like people coming in and out. They actually want a long-term relationship with a long-term investor who they trust and can, because we are the custodians of their brand. When somebody walks into the showroom, quite a lot of the time in their minds, they're dealing with Honda. Yeah, and, and this particular <laughs> showroom has Honda on the- No, no, it's, I mean, this is a the, Honda, door, it is a it? Honda showroom. Mm. So we are representing Honda. Uh, there's a trust between the customer and the brand and we are the custodians of that trust and we can blow it quickly if we get things wrong. So. It's about, do they trust us to have the brand? Do, have we got the financial stability to make sure we are in business for a long time? And really they're after us selling cars and selling parts actually through the workshop and making sure the workshop's right. So they're looking for economic activity together with great customer service. That's really what they're after. Now a new phrase has emerged in motor retailing. Omni-retailing channels. Omni-channel retailing. What does it mean? Omnichannel retailing is just a reality of where everything is going. So if we put an advertisement around an England away game and it says Bristol Street Motors 0% finance you know, online, people are sat at home with their iPads watching the telly and then suddenly we see a surge of activity on the internet and they're onto the Bristol Street Motors homepage or the online retailing page. And then they're doing things on the internet. They're looking at cars, looking at dealerships. And then they interact with us in a multitude of manner, try and phone us, even at 10 o'clock at night. Live chat, we have 10 people fully employed on live chat till around 11 at night. Uh, they might actually just decide to get directions and visit the dealership the next day. So that when they come into the dealership, ideally we should know what they've been up to on the internet. Mm. Uh, ideally if they've, uh, looked at a certain car we should know so when it comes in there's not that horrible bit where you have to completely go through everything you've just done in the previous 24 hours actually there should be a knowledge and the, the technology within the showroom into configurators or you know every of our sales executives has an iPad or uh, and actually we give the almost give the screen now to the customer and they can almost configure their own deal which builds up trust much less to and froing back with management now it's a much more about the customer and the sales executive working together and then when they go home we're communicating them via the internet via email whatever it is so it's all joined up is what it means uh, wherever you want to be we can 
work with you as a customer, online, offline, and, and people come in and out. And the last bit of that was coming into the retail. You, yeah. Do you actually want them to come in? Do well, it's not us that want to come. We do want them to come yeah. in, but actually customers want to come in. Yeah, they don't want to buy <laughs> online. Um, very, very little. The conversion rates of pure online retailing in buying a car are unbelievably low. Yeah. That's not to say online retailing is dead. It clearly isn't. Uh, but people will do a certain amount online, and then suddenly they will go into live chat. They actually want to talk to somebody and get comfort. Um, I think cars are like that though, aren't I? Before well, you they're arrived, sofas on wheels. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, was looking and sitting in it before Would you, you buy a sofa online? Well, there will be a certain type of person that buys a sofa online, but I suspect they're not many. Because mm. actually you want to make sure yeah, yeah, that you like it. Yeah, and, and these cars are not only sofas, they are technology platforms, mobility platforms, you know, leisure equipment carrying. They mm. are really quite complicated and you're spending quite a lot of money or a financial commitment, so you want to make sure the thing is right. Yeah. And that's just a new car. Used cars, clearly, it's even more important yeah, to, absolutely. to try it. Let's move on to the fact that over the period since you've owned and established uh, Virtue Motors, the motor retail sector has been through its own challenges. You started at a period when there was a financial recession and scrappage mm. was introduced. Mm. Uh, I've just looked at things like um, the diesel scandal, People have got themselves perhaps overexcited about Brexit. How, as a leader of a business, have you managed to steer your business through those external squalls? Well, I think I started Regivardi in 2001, so nearly 20 years ago. And there's always something. I've never known a time when it was plain sailing and there were no external issues, be it the currency or whatever. And I think the key thing is be very clear what the company position is and, and communicate with investors and stakeholders and just tell the truth. Is it a challenge? Yes. Why is it a challenge? What's the impact? Just don't gloss it, actually. Mm. Mm. Just be clear as mm. to what we think. And sometimes we don't know. And mm. if you don't know, say you don't know. But then internally, it's keeping people focused on the basics of the business. Because if the car market dropped 10%, uh, there's still 7 or 8 million people going to buy a car this year. Right. And you want them to buy them from you? Uh, well, we'd like a higher proportion of them to and buy them from And you have actually defied the market. And you don't like saying that because you're very modest and you don't want to overextend uh, expectations. But the last set of results yeah, were um, a little bit... Yeah, I mean, uh, in fairness, our profits went back and I don't think we should crow over profits going back. Um, our job is to... But they went up more than expectation. Uh, they did. Um, but I think the crucial thing about management is... is can you beat the market trends? Can you run the business better than average? And that's about, to be honest with you, having the right people in place, having them motivated, uh, having them have a faith in management, both from a values perspective and from a competence perspective, actually. Um, and, and we have a very, very experienced team of, of people within the group, a very, very stable senior management team, very stable. And that puts us in a good position. Let's talk about people a little bit more. You've already alluded to it, but I've just looked at uh, Everywhere you go in Virtue Motors, there's the Master's Awards, degree apprenticeships, training, training, training. I've got a note here, 527 classroom courses were delivered. 100,000 Litmos heroes, I'm not sure what they e are. E-learning system. E-learning yeah. system, is it? So, to share some of the thoughts on how you get that kind of commitment within a business of this scale. Well, the, the world's changing quite rapidly. 
in terms of customer expectations, manufacturer expectations, technology, electric vehicles. Uh, so we're going to have to move quite quickly in terms of what we do. And the only way you can move quickly is if you've got a team of people who are flexible, who want to learn, who are passionate about what they do and want to win. Um, so getting the right people on board is actually fairly paramount. Uh, in addition to that, we then provide them with tools um, to make sure that they can learn. So for example, in April, we trained 2,000 people in one month on electric vehicle powertrains right. through e-learning. Because actually this is quite important, yeah. they are coming. Um, so it's just creating an environment where we want people to do the best and we want people to get better. Mm. And there's great benefits to, for the people of doing that. They can earn more money, they can get promoted, they can fund their children's university education, have a better house and have nicer holidays. That's a good thing, mm. not a bad thing. I, I don't want to dwell on anything, anything negative, but the flip side of all this commitment you make to the people is that you don't really want people hanging around who can't do it. So how do you decide when you get rid of someone? What kind of, what kind of uh, philosophy have you got if people don't belong? I think it's, well, we do have a methodology on that, actually, to be honest with you. Uh, the answer is if you've got a team of driven people, mm. you want to create a business that if somebody comes in who isn't driven or isn't mm. talented or has wrong energy levels, that actually they just feel uncomfortable mm. because everybody else is at it. <laughs> so you want a bit of self-selection, actually. Uh, and we've got to treat people with respect and have values. So if somebody's not performing, the first thing to do is make sure we train them. Mm. And the second thing we do is, is there a better job more suited to their talents and spectrum? And the third thing we do is we have to get rid of them mm. uh, because we can't tolerate underperformance, uh, assuming it is you know, down to them, not the market or, or whatever it is. And I make no apologies for that because uh, we are responsible for 5,500 families. Mm. and. Uh, my job, clearly, is to make sure my senior team's performing uh, and the impact, actually, as people get more senior, their impact of underperformance is actually more horrific. Mm. Actually, it can affect a lot more people. But throughout, we want to create a meritocracy. Mm. And with a meritocracy, there are implications if you don't perform. Let's move on to talk about the future and the future in the sector. Because uh, my, my grandmother remembers when there were horses and carts in the street. Yeah. Well, she did. She's not with us anymore. Yeah. Will our children look on the petrol engine like that? Uh, I don't know. The great thing about the move from the horse to the motor car was it was a massive technological leap that customers clearly saw massive benefits from mm. and chose to buy them. That is not what we're seeing today. Mm the move to electric propulsion is not because customers have woken up to the great benefits of electric propulsion at all. It is due to government regulation set in the European Union based on the climate change agenda to fine punitively the motor manufacturers in Europe if they fail to reduce their carbon emissions with massive punitive fines from 2020, which is forcing them into electrification. Now, whether the customers are ready for electrification and whether the customers are ready for electric vehicles, pure electric vehicles, I have some doubts about. Hybrids, I think, are probably gonna be the route through. Um, and it's a political, mm. economic argument. It's not a customer-led argument, and that 
if you read the literature, is concerning many senior executives in the major European manufacturers because there are massive economic implications of this electrification. Well, we can hear in the background some of the electrification noises yeah. and cars uh, reversing with electric engines and so on. Um, would you mind just quickly showing me the showroom? Because I think it's something different uh, to what people might expect, very high tech. Okay, no problem at all. This is his customer experience scores in the service department. And this is our Virtue Honda business is very much at the top end of Honda. Uh, yeah. We are very, very good at uh, so 100% of people who've been in this dealership in the last 12 months will come back. Goodness me, <laughs> they're all in the 90s, no, no, it's, hundreds, it's it is, fantastic. It is very, very strong. So you walk through there from the showroom and you get into this fantastic uh, new uh, engineering workshop and it's, the floors are all pristine. And well, it's a working environment, there's plenty of oil around, so keeping it clean is, is somewhat tricky, but this place is now absolutely stuffed full of technology. So when the cars come in, one of the key things is, is plugging it in to a diagnostic machine to identify any problems. We're communicating with the factory, so software downloads coming straight through. Actually, in a few years' time, we won't do that here. We're actually going to uh, be doing it on people's drives. It'll be done over the wire rather right. than coming into the So workshops. your car will talk to the Yeah, no, all the time. The connected technology will absolutely just talk all the time. It, it, we will identify problems with your car before the problems happened and there'll be a massive cost saving to the customer and to the manufacturer on that. All of the bays have these rolling roads built in and if you look at the one behind, even into the floor, the, yeah. the hydraulic jacks, so, it's not like a... So all the technicians in here are Honda trained, they are up to date with the latest information. We are about to do training because of the new electric vehicle, pure electric vehicle coming out with Honda in the new year. So the technical training that the manufacturing provides is absolutely first class. In addition, uh, each of the technicians makes video of every single car, explaining to the customer on the video what's, what work needs doing, or hopefully what work does not need doing. Uh, so we're really into quite a, a technologically-based environment. Well, Robert, you are a northern business leader, and thank you for showing us around your national business that's based here in the north. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Northern Business Leaders in association with business services firm Deloitte. Thanks also to Robert Forrester from Virtue Motors PLC. Another Northern Business Leader interviewed soon.